Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. Hello, Zane. Hello, Connor. You were very close to the mic when you introduced the show. Ah, yeah, I was trying to do the whole, like, you know, you, you get right up to the, the mic for the, like, big introduction, and then you pull back at it. I don't know. How's it going, everybody? Yeah. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back. People, people tune into the show for the sort of audio parallax. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they want to. They want the host. A good host should have a Doppler effect. Uh, yeah. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> One of the best exasperated sighs yet, Zane. Yes. Really felt like I'm it. nailing it. I'm nailing it. <laughs> We're talking about UFC 297 going down in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, featuring a pair of main events that Myra Bueno Silva has described as both being bad fights that fans should not at all be excited for. Has she indeed? Yeah. She's like, nobody wants to watch Raquel Pennington. Nobody wants to watch Sean Strickland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that many people want to watch Myra Bueno Silva either, to be to be fair. But um But it's funny. <laughs> let me let me find the exact quote. Uh it certainly is funny. Here, I'll dig it up. Look on paper, my fight with Raquel, Raquel is not a good fight. But, uh, but on paper, Sean Strickland and Drikas Duplessis is a good fight? No. Sean talks too much. He thinks he is a big star, but he's not a big star. I believe my fight and Sean's fight, one helps the other. On paper, two bad fights for fans. But when we enter the octagon, I do a good fight, and Duplessis does, a, does good fights too. I don't watch good fights from Sean Strickland. I don't remember a good fight. Wow. <laughs> Get her in the marketing department. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, UFC 297 is certainly a strange pay-per-view. It is a very strange pay-per-view. It is two title fights that could definitely both be meh. I think the Strickland Duplessis fight is pretty well geared to be fun. I think it's going to be hard for that to be made. Just, I mean, to to be, to, to Myra's point, largely because Duplessis is in there. Exactly. Um, and, but the Raquel Pennington Myra Silva fight could easily. Oh yeah. Be dreadful. Oh yeah. And then under that, you got Neil Magny, Mike Malott, and Chris uh-huh. Curtis, Mark Andrejo should be fun. Mm-hmm. But Arnold Allen Mosari Floyd is great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a real it's a it's a mixed bag, which are really the kind of cards that we uh just conceptually like the most, I think. 
Yeah. It's got weird. It's got some probably bad. I could guess I could do without the straight up bad, but I I always say that you want cooler fights on a card. You want a couple fights where you're just like, okay, you know what? Now I remember how good all the other stuff I'm watching is. Yeah. And you can, you can enjoy um, a worse fight more when it is a change of pace from the thing you just saw. Exactly. Like, Give me something that's a grinder in the middle. Like, give me, you know, a short knockout. Give me a grinding fight. Give me a weird, messy fight between two guys that don't know how to control anything. That's and right. give me a technical masterpiece. And all together, it will form the fantastic menu of a good fight card. Yeah. You never enjoy a salad more than when you're at Benihana, you know, and you just know what you're looking forward to. Exactly. Also, that ginger miso dressing is the bomb. So hopefully, we get some ginger miso dressing on this card. That would be pretty sick. There we go. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so hopefully this card will shake out pretty good. I understand that it might not have a easy pay per view hook to sell people on, or an easy hook to sell fans on spending like fifteen hundred dollars to get into the arena. Yeah. Um, but it might, you know, it might shake out to be a pretty entertaining card. I'll, I'll, I'll say by the end of the night. The hook is, is that Sean Strickland is not getting any of that $1,500 ticket. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hook. Yeah, there we go. All right. So let's talk about this main event. Yes. Strickland, Duplessis. And... <sighs> Either way, we walk out of here with a champion that is eminently beatable. Yeah. Um, but I'm not at all sure who that is going to be, honestly. Nope. Yeah, this really, uh, you know, I, I Phil, Phil and I, Phil McKenzie, um, we, we had a really good time talking about this because, as you know, we are, we are middleweight aficionados. Mm-hmm. And we sort of concluded that this feels like this and the other title fight. It feels like divisions, like the sort of natural forces of these divisions reasserting themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Amanda Nunes dominating women's bantamweight and we had Israel Adesanya taking up the mantle briefly worn by Robert Whitaker and previously by, uh, Adesanya 1.0 Anderson Silva. <laughs> You know, like these like generationally great fighters. And you had guys like Yoel Romero in the title picture for a long time. Like you just have these fighters who do not really represent the meat of the division they rule over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you guys are real you guys are real cork sniffers when it yeah. comes to oh, 185 yeah. pound dudes. That's right. And and this captures the essence. This has yes. the true bouquet of a middleweight fight. It really does. Just has two the, mouth, the middleweight mouthfeel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's 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 it, it, all the wine has been poured off. This is the dregs in a division that is all dregs. Yeah, it's got that gritty, coarse, slightly greasy middleweight mouthfeel that we just crave. <laughs> um 
because like yeah these these guys are they're bad yeah they are two fighters that you watch in isolation and you're like oh they'll never be champ exactly like one of them is incredibly sort of limited in his approach to fighting yep uh in the way that true middleweights really are middleweight has forever been the division of uh narrow canyon skill sets where guys just like really invest themselves in like one particular thing they're pretty good at Uh and it is a great division for sort of journeyman specialists and then drinkus duplessis is like he sort of has like the athleticism of like your Romeros and Weidmans and Rockholds, uh-huh. but he's just like compared to Plessy to Romero. And you could be like, yeah, maybe these guys are similar athletes. Like this dude's definitely powerful. He's freakishly strong. Uh-huh. Uh, he's super durable. He's got a lot of the things that made Romero great, but just compare their movements. Yeah. Romero is like a big cat next to like, I don't know, an anteater. Mm-hmm. Like Duplessis a has pan- none. Drinkus moves a like panda. a panda bear. <laughs> yes. He has no grace. <laughs> he has no subtlety. He is like an unstylish, awkward, clumsy super athlete. He's yeah. one of the strangest fighters I've ever seen fighting for a time. I've talked a lot about different various fighters who fight like a puppet with a string cut and Drikus Duplessis he is absolutely one of those fighters where you just like a puppet with way too many strings attached. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's, I've never seen somebody pivot with so much like articulation in different parts of the body. Uh-huh. So many little weird, awkward steps. He's just like off balance all the time. He's so tense. He does everything, everything with maximum power. Yeah. I mean, and that's so the he, thing that like none of it, is designed to work well, but when any of it does work, you're always like, oh, damn. Well, I I guess you got to give him credit for that because it was not designed for success, but the moment he found success with it, it is like fight-ending stuff. Yeah, but it just looks like a joke. Yes, always. Um, and I don't know how to ex- – there's certain, some people just aren't don't get that. It's the Rube Goldberg of fighters. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's a complicated <laughs> mechanism to get this jab out there. Uh, when it, you know, it should just be like a hot wheel going down a track right to the destination. But instead, it's got levers and pulleys and yeah. cups that fill up with water and move the elbow so that it extends and lights a candle, which finally pushes the jab out to its final. But, but, yeah, but at the end, the boxing glove does come out on the extendo arm and I've got breakfast hot and ready. And it and it <laughs> and it obliterates Robert Whitaker when it lands. Like, yeah. It's just, it's something inexplicable about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is middleweight folks. Like this is what middleweights, most middleweights look like. This is a much better representation of the division than your Israel Adesanya's and Anderson Silva's ever could be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it is not an easy fight to call no. as, as typical middleweight fights usually are. It's, it's difficult to, to say like, Who's worse? Um, I mean, you know, we we kind of know one basic thing. Uh huh. 
which is that unless you know very likely Sean Strickland will be winning all of the moments except for the ones he loses that which, seems quite likely yeah i mean and i know that sounds stupid but there are a lot of mma fights out there and i certainly expect that like uh you know arm katona armfield would be one yeah where the fighters have lots of time where nobody is win- really doing anything or winning anything. Yeah, or alternatively, there's fights where there's action happening at all times, but it's super, it's razor close. Yeah, whereas this is a fight where I expect Sean Strickland will, if he, every minute he gets his way, he will be clearly winning that minute. Right, and you can envision a fight in which, say, Strickland wins three and a half minutes around. Yeah calmly and comfortably and then like gets hurt or gets taken down or gets his back taken or something and very clearly loses exactly like that happens um it's almost like uh a like a a bizarre clunky version of like an adesanya gastelum dynamic Mm -hmm. um and yeah, I mean that is largely because Sean Strickland is going to be tall and rangy, and he is an extremely jab-focused fighter. I don't know if he actually has a reach advantage. Drikus has weirdly long arms. Let's see, Drikus has a reach of I mean, seventy-six it, inches. His wingspan, just to to wit, his wingspan is five inches longer than his height is tall. They are one to one supposedly on. Height and reach. Interesting. So. Um, but Sean Strickland, you know, a, a very comfortable range striker. Drikus Duplessis has super rudimentary defense. Constantly squares himself up. Um, has a, a serious, not as serious, but a serious case of Johnny Walker Scooby-Doo face. Yes. Yeah, which isn't helped by the fact that he flings his chin like straight up to into the air. Yeah. This is what I mean when like certain people, it's difficult to explain to certain people or it's difficult to understand why certain people don't see how bad Drakus Duplessis is. Mm-hmm. Cause like every time you say this, there will be a couple dudes in the comments like, Oh, so now Drakus is, he's not good. Well, look at who he's beaten. And yes, I know that's why he's magical. Yeah, I would never in a million years have picked him to beat Robert Whitaker. No. I would pick him to beat Robert Whitaker if he ran that fight back tomorrow. No, it doesn't make any sense. Look, because just look at how he moves. His yeah. chin is straight up in the air. His combinations are hideous. He flings himself out of stance. He falls over like he is unbelievably cumbersome mm-hmm. uh, as a fighter. But and we've seen too, like you know, his, his training partner is that bantamweight, uh, Cameron Simon. Cameron Simon. Yeah. Like you can see the camp and what they're teaching in an, a non-athletic dude, and it just fails. Like, but Simon still has more like natural grace. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Simon's not as ungainly as Duplessis, but he's also. You can see him clearly trying to do the same things and learning the same general skills and applying them in the same way. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this doesn't work. It just doesn't have the same freak advantages of power and durability and everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
still a pretty fun game, you know, a lot of fun. Yeah, to watch oh, it's a lot of fight. fun. But yeah, yeah Drakus without the power, without the physical strength, without the durability, none of this would work at all. Yeah. Um, and for that reason, it's really easy to see Sean Strickland just sort of moving around and picking him off with jabs and and right hands. Yeah. Uh, and we have seen that happen in numerous Drakus Duplessis fights. The first like four minutes of his fight with Robert Whitaker. Sure. He's just getting picked apart. The second round of his fight with Darren Till after he exhausts himself smashing Darren Till with 7,000 arm punches against the fence. First round and a half against Brad Tavares. Yeah, even the first round against Derek Brunson. Yeah. He's just out there just getting tagged by like the simplest, most efficient punches because his style's bad. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Drakus is not only does he have all those physical qualities that allow his ungainly style to work, but mentally he is a, a super, super tough and courageous fighter. Yeah. He, this, like we just said, this man has had, and even going back to like his welterweight fights with Roberto Soldich in KSW, Mm-hmm. Like he won the first one of those on the back of just getting smushed for like an entire round and, um, and very patiently lost their rematch for like three rounds straight. He was losing the whole time, but he's just like indefatigable and it doesn't bother him the way it would bother other fighters. He really, really believes that he is going to come back. Yep. Um, and n- n- nowadays more than, back when he fought like Soldich, who did knock him out at welterweight. Um, he's gotten way more aggressive too. Like he is really doubling down on his belief that no matter what happens, he is going to like get to the opponent. And he really like puts the fear in people, including mm-hmm. Robert Whitaker. Like it's just, his style makes no sense. And he has this really awkward timing and he's so aggressive and active that he sort of lulls you into trying to deal with him like defense first. Yeah. And it is surprisingly difficult to do because his punches don't come from the right angles. I mean, his, he almost has this weird thing where everything is telegraphed. Every movement, every movement is awkward and stilted. And it sort of works as like a, once you start waiting on and trying to guess what's coming, that hesitation almost makes it more difficult to time him. Mm-hmm. Like the, the punch he knocked Whitaker down with was a jab. Yeah. But it was like a fully loaded up punch off the lead hand that like, just like came a second too late and caught Whitaker totally by surprise. He just didn't see it coming. Um, even though he had just previously mostly evaded a jab, he's still the timing. It just threw him off. Yeah. Um, and then you put onto that the fact that Drigus Duplessis, as we've noted multiple times, is uncannily calm and aware of what's happening in these stupid, violent fights where he is losing at least half the time. Yeah. He has, like, perfect recall of, like, specific exchanges, like, immediately once the fight is done. Yeah, He's no just kidding. just a strange individual, like, who mentally, I think, is very well suited to this sport. Yeah. No, he's he is exactly the right kind of MMA crazy. Yeah. 
So I don't know. I will say right now, I already picked Sean Strickland because I just couldn't allow myself to believe that Drikas Duplessis style could continue to work. But I was reluctant to do it then. And the more time I've thought about it, I just keep wishing I'd picked Drikas because I just. I mean, there is something to be said for Strickland more even than Robert Whitaker. He will be the most persistent one note I stick to my guns fighter. Yeah. That Duplessis has ever faced. Whitaker can be shaken. I don't think Strickland can. One well, and, and Whitaker too, too wants to be um he he wants to be masterful. Yeah. You know, you will get occasionally a fight like Whitaker Gastelum where he just goes out, starts putting it on somebody and just never stops putting it on somebody. Yep. But Whitaker also has a bit of a, like he, he's got a bit of that Randy Brown thing in him where yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, see. I'm trying to set up just the perfect strike. I'm trying to, to yeah. do the beautiful thing. Um, have the beautiful fight. Sean Strickland and, doesn't care about beauty. <laughs> yeah, Strickland is just absolutely the most. No, I am fighting behind my jab. Yep. I am going to establish my jab and fight behind it. That is all I am doing. Yeah. And that is almost certainly what you need to fight Drikas Duplessis because he is not going to be solving problems out there. Drikas. He backs way up. He charges up like he's, you know, in a fighting game, Marvel Capcom, mm -hmm. charging his special, and then he bolts at his opponent with whatever strikes he's selected, and he doesn't really care what they do about it. He's he's coming in to throw him. And if you hit him really hard on the way in, you hit him really hard on the way in. Yep. And I think it really gets to, you know, the point where people try to be like, oh, well, that last exchange sucked. I better try something different. I better try to, like, solve this or do something to avoid this or something like that. Yep. It's like, no, just stick to the thing that, like, just stick to punching him every single time. Yeah. He drives in. Yeah. And if you do that, you'll hit him every single time. Yeah. Cer certainly a part of what happened to him in the in his fight with Soldich, Duplessis was that he uh he was cutting too much weight. Yeah. Like he is a perfectly adequately sized middleweight. It's hard to imagine him somehow making one one yeah. Um and I'm sure that affected his chin and whatnot. But a major part of that, the rematch they had was just that Soldich just had a super simple approach. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to stay at the ideal distance and make you do something stupid and nail you with a straight shot. If you hang out at range, I'm just going to kick your legs and your body. And when you like do that thing where you're very obviously powering up to come surging at me, I'm just going to get out of the way before you start running. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to try and like perfectly time and slip or parry whatever stupid thing you're throwing at me. I'm just going to like preemptively 
assert the distance. And good luck running across the now five feet of space between us without me just easily evading you or hitting you first. It's certainly something that Eric Nixick should be able to plan around. Yeah, it is, right? Yeah. and it, But there is this thing where what I said before about the difficulty of timing, like Sean Strickland paid for that against Alex Padetta. Yeah. And we have said this about Strickland many, many times that his his style also really shouldn't work as well as it does. Oh, no. Yeah. He is just walking forward with his hands set, trying to paw at strikes, pumping out a jab. And it's just like all you got to do is pick a time to hit him. Yeah. You know, he's very upright. He's quite square. Make him guess at where he, make him guess at where the punch is going to be. And if yeah. he guesses wrong, you'll hit him clean. Exactly. And and Alex Pereira did that with Guile and Kraft. Drinkers yeah. Duplessis can do it with straight up jank. Yeah. Um, but the effect could be the same. And I think I'm gonna pick Drikas. I get it. Just on honestly on the vibe that we are going to get an Adesanya Drikas Duplessis title fight. That's honestly it. Yeah. I just have the vibe that that will happen at some point, and Drikas needs the belt for that to happen. Yeah. I'm not actually sure now, having watched their first fight, that that Adesanya can beat Sean Strickland. Uh huh. Because. I think this might just be like a poisonous matchup for him. A poisonous match, a poisonous matchup, and finally his ability to be bullied really just coming to bear. Yeah, somebody who just doesn't make like massive mistakes. Like the mistakes he makes, you have to be pretty aggressive and like assert yourself to exploit. Yeah, and Adesanya having his own yeah high school trauma of being shoved in lockers. And Sean Strickland just being, like, too willing to take advantage of that in the cage. Yeah. And suddenly there it is. And Adesanya just could not, for the life of him, make himself step forward and fight Sean Strickland. Yeah. No, I I get it. And I think it's, again, like I said, the more I've thought about this, the more I kind of wish I hadn't locked myself on Strickland. Because as much as he looks like the classier... Uh, more classical kind of fighter with the simpler, more straightforward game. It just makes more sense when you're watching with Sean Strickland yeah. win a fight, why he's winning it. Yeah. Drikas, like I said, his style is also idiosyncratic and Drikas sort of has like when, when like Juliana Pena came in against Amanda Nunes and was like, what if I slip and jab and it just won her the fight? Yeah. Drikas sort of has that level of understanding of how MMA works. Like MMA fighters run back on straight lines. Okay. I have weirdly long arms. I'm just going to not care about getting countered and just fly forward, flicking my huge, massive arms out there. MMA fighters headhunt. Okay. I'm just going to keep a ludicrously high guard up whenever I'm in an exchange. Like the body is wide open, but nobody's going to go for that with their punches. So, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's this yeah. really broad strokes understanding that Drikas has about MMA. And he's not a stupid man. Like, he learns over the course of his fights, too. You know, you can watch that second round against Darren Till. Yes, part of it is that he's tired. But he also is just, like, he's spending that time processing how to deal with Till's limited range of threats. Yeah. 
which Sean Strickland also has a limited range of threats. And once he sort of gets it, are his solutions ludicrous and stupid looking? Yes. He's like just yeah. like blocking jabs with his guard, which is the silliest way to deal with jabs. And then he's just waiting for the left straight to come in. And then he ducks it and throws the ugliest overhand counter you've ever seen. But he does come to that yeah. solution like actively. He is thinking and solving his opponent actively as the fight is going on. He's it not is, stupid. It has to be said, too, that it's not like Sean Strickland won't be giving Duplessis five rounds to figure hit to, yeah, to fight exactly. his fight. Like exactly. Sean Strickland is going to come out and set one note and play it the whole time. Yeah, and you Sean and I Strickland haven't does. even talked about Duplessis' real power weapon, which is his physical strength and the grappling game. Yeah, that makes that such a problem. Sean Strickland, a good takedown defender, but that is a truth that has not really been tested at middleweight. Well, and and also like, you know, if Strickland isn't going to go for a lot, he goes for takedowns occasionally. But yeah. the the further his career is gone, the more it feels like he just views that as as a bitch move and would rather not. I'm on a pussy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah okay, Sean, you're. So in your feelings, you're you're threatening to stab somebody right now. <laughs> we yeah. hear you. Um, I don't have feelings. And if you say I have feelings again, I'll punch you. It's right. <laughs> Not because I'm feeling something. He is, he is very much. If you remember the uh, what is it? Ricardo, the, the crazy robot from Futurama. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy? Crazy? Anybody calls me crazy, I'll kill him! <laughs> <laughs> yes. He is very much that kind of... Except he fights more like Fry when he thinks he's become yes. a killbot. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. mechanical. <laughs> but, um... He... You know, he so if he's just going to go out there and set one pace and one tone on Duplessis, it'll it'll win him a lot of minutes. But yeah. it'll also kind of just let Duplessis get out there and try to charge up and yeah solve the problem over and over and over again. As long as like I mean, Strickland, the the why Strickland style works is that it's it's not truly about the MMA fighter understanding about like being diverse is that you have to have nine thousand different techniques. Yeah. Strickland does have that Bruce Lee quality where it's like, I know a lot of ways to land the two punches I throw. Yeah. So it's not like he is going to be stagnant, but no. it is still going to be a pretty limited array of things for Duplessis to focus on either timing or absorbing, absorbing well enough that he can just give it straight back, which he does exactly. very well. Cause I do think like, honestly, you know, Strickland is not nearly as good a back foot counter puncher or no. counter fighter at all no. No. as he is when he's going forward and he gets to set the tone. 100%. So if Duplessis can just charge in and t force t Strickland to take backward steps, yep. the chances to catch him are right there. Yep. And there's you the know? takedown threat and there's the kicking game. There's the surprisingly intelligent it, shot selection. Because is a maddening fighter because he is half a really intelligent, thoughtful, yeah, like game planning, adaptive fighter, and half the worst fighter you've ever seen. Yeah, it is honestly, 
<laughs> I, I picked Adesanya going into that Strickland Adesanya because it's just like at some point Adesanya is going to start landing a couple of shots and realizing, oh, I should be pushing this guy back. And he just never yeah. did. He just didn't. So I'll take a flyer on Duplessis E for the I fun of I it. don't think it's a flyer, honestly. I yeah. feel like the more I've thought about this, it just I have a feeling Drinkus is going to win, but I'm picking Strickland. Fair. Uh, all right. Odds on the fight, it's near dead even odds. Strickland is the favorite, open at minus 149, currently minus 126. Duplessis open at plus 117, currently plus 114. All right, that brings us to Raquel Pennington, Myra Buena Silva. Which I definitely knew was a title fight when I first glanced at this card. <laughs> no kidding. And... Uh, that fight, like, honestly, this is just one of those women's bantamweight fights. Women's <laughs> bantamweight fights, yes. Once again, Amanda Nunes is gone. Now we see the true face of this division. This is what this division looks like. And this is also, once again, a title fight where you are going to come out with an eminently beatable champion. Oh, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. Whoever walks away from this could easily lose their belt tomorrow. Yeah. It's also just a little sad that in the women's bantamweight division, the way it stands right now, they could also hold it for three defenses. Sure. Yeah. As Sean Strickland might hold the middleweight title, but yeah. they, they are representative. They are normal fighters for their division. They are not special generational champion talents. No. I... I mean, I kind of just have to automatically put pick Buena Silva here. It's a bit of the same fight as Strickland Duplessis, frankly, mm-hmm. where you've got Pennington, who is just a very work woman-like uh, boxer at this point in her career. She throws with more variety, picks more targets, and, uh, it, you know, is more interested in variation than Strickland. But she's also much less technically deft with the tools she chooses to use. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of a she will set the pace and tempo of this fight. But she's not going to be setting it nearly to the way that Strickland will behind his jab. She will be bullying her way inside repeatedly to try to create boxing exchanges. Mm hmm. Um, and she'll probably be able to back Buena Silva up pretty easily. Neither of these women is good about maintaining the front foot, frankly. Um, Buena Silva just, she stalks, but doesn't throw. Yeah. Which, which counterintuitively really, really worked for her against Holly Holm. Yeah. Really worked for her against Holly Holm. But it means stronger than the execution, Zane, don't you know? Yeah. Um, but she's very, you know, if you, if you, if you insist on coming forward, she will immediately revert to the back foot. She, her ability to come forward because she's not putting out offense, she has to revert to a defensive mode yeah. pretty fast. If you come forward when she is pressuring, she is purely an aggressive counter puncher. Yeah. And Pennington is she likes to be able to come forward and and create exchanges, but she's always got a need to reset in that in those. 
And it's either taking steps back or clinching up. And so fighters that are more insistent about putting volume out or coming forward or just controlling the clinch often put Raquel Pennington against the cage because she will pause in the midst of her offense to try to recalibrate. Um, I, I pretty much just have to take Buena Silva here. Yeah. Over five rounds, even though I think she could very easily get controlled and outpointed. Sure. Because she's the fighter that can finish. Yep. Yeah, Pennington is, uh, yeah, as you said, much like the main event, Pennington is the fighter who can more effectively fill the spaces. Yeah. Um, she just has a much stronger fundamental boxing game. And really, it has been looking better than ever the last, well, I can't say last year, because it's actually been a year since her last fight. But the last few years, honestly, uh, she's taken the last ho- loss to Holly Holm. Yep. Going back to her loss to to Jermaine Durandamy. Yep. Her boxing has looked really quite sharp. You would yep. argue, many would argue she did not lose to Holly Holm in the rematch. No, I think you could, yeah. If if anyone cared, you could definitely make that argument. Um, And yeah, that she's she just looks a lot more assertive with her hands. She's throwing much better combinations. I think as, in particular, a, count, as count, a counter puncher, mm-hmm. she has improved. And... Um, it's, it's made her look a lot more imposing because the big problem I think for Pennington physically is, uh, she just doesn't have like, she doesn't have foot speed. She is very foot slow, but her hands are surprisingly quick and have been for the, especially in those last few fights. Like, like, Oh, she's not just like altogether slow. She's just plotting. I mean, I often see this out of fighters. You can, I think it's a lot easier to create hand speed through practiced rhythm yes you know speed bag punching uh pad work you can create good hand speed through the learning of patterns and who knows maybe if pennington was out there doing like a bunch of ladder drills she would have quicker feet too but i yeah i think it is harder to train i think you're right yeah just that kind of floaty dynamic movement um but Really, like I'm picking Meyer Buena Silva too, because if you look at Raquel Pennington's record, however you feel about that second fight with Holly Holm, there's a pretty clear delineation between the women she's lost to and the women she's beaten. Yeah. Um, and even if you include like her most recent win, Catlin Vieira, very close win, and Vieira, yeah, a more limited and rudimentary fighter, even than Buena Silva, but big, strong, good athlete. And these women just always beat Raquel Pennington. You know? Mm-hmm. Kat Zingano, Holly Holm, Jessica Andrade, Amanda Nunes, Jermaine Durandamy. These women are all big and clearly superior athletes, and Myra Buena Silva is clearly a more natural athlete than Raquel Pennington. She's not big. She's not There's bigger. She's yeah. not bigger. But, but she's harder hitting, she's faster, she's lighter on her feet. She's um, a more deft, aggressive grappler. Yes, yeah, she just she has a dynamism that Pennington yeah. does not have. If I And, you know, it could be that Pennington just outpoints her for five rounds. I will not be surprised at all. I would love to see it. I like Raquel Pennington, you know, as yeah. much as all her fights aren't thrilling to watch or whatever, I just can't help but root for her. She's 
Yeah. She's, she's that lunch pail fighter I love to uh, to get behind. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, if I'm picking a title fight for five rounds, I'm just going to be like, okay, the fighter that has a chance to finish it inside the distance is the one I'm going to take. Yep. That's really it. Yep. So. Odds on the fight, Pennington is opened at plus 134, currently plus 137. Bueno Silva opened at plus, minus 172, currently minus 152. Should also be noted that uh, while Silva is not way younger than Pennington, Pennington is hitting the wrong side of the age line where yeah. fighters just stop winning really big fights. Yep. You know, I hate to use that as like a real measuring stick for. It's a factor, but it's a factor. Yeah. I mean, I do sometimes wonder if maybe women have a little bit longer tail on their primes than men, or if that is, that just seems to be the case because their divisions just aren't as stacked generally. Yeah, I mean, but I don't know. You got Angela Hill out there. Lauren Murphy's still doing it. Holly Holm, like they're not all amazing athletes. These fighters that still have pretty good success well past their primes. Sure, but like at the same time, Holly Holm stopped being champ at 35. That's true. You know? Yep. She lost to Ronda Rousey, and she never, or she lost to Misha Tate rather, and she never gained that belt back. Yeah. And, uh. You know, even even Valentina Shevchenko. Yep. Had that drop. And now we've seen and Amanda Nunes, she retired, but she also lost to Juliana Pena in there. Yep. Like there is just a point at which being a title contender becomes very difficult. Yep. Time is a factor in every single division, gender, whatever. Yeah. If I've got the younger, more powerful fighter on one side and I've got the older, just sort of workmanlike yep. fighter, I'm I'm taking the younger fighter. It's 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 it sucks not to be more dynamic with because like I say, the, the round by round winning thing, it's Pennington's mm-hmm. it's in Pennington's favor. Yep. I just I think agree. at some point she gets tangled up, she gets clipped, she gets hurt, she gets finished, or and yeah, that's really it. Which is, it's tough to say that, too, because, you know, if anybody's been a tough out, it's been Raquel Pennington. Yeah. She's only been finished twice in her career. Yep. Once an early rear naked choke loss to Kat Singano and once a ground and pound loss to Amanda Nunes. Yep. So. It, which was really just like her spirit being completely broken yeah. by sheer attrition. Yeah hardly even not like she got knocked out and the amount of punishment she took to get to that point yeah, still no yeah, speaks to her toughness for sure all right that brings us to a welterweight bout neil magny mike malott and um i'm curious be a lot more sur- sure about this hmm. and i'm not as sure as i want to be yeah, I actually kind of have a fairly strong feeling about it. I suspect it's maybe not the one you thought you would be sure about. Yeah, go for it. I'm feeling Neil Magny here. No, that is the fight. That is what I thought I'd be sure okay. about. Okay, yeah, I, it's not entirely sure. I mean, Mike Malott has a little little Ponzinibbio in it. I have been you know? impressed by the wrinkles that Mike Malott has been bringing to his game. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Malata, very crafty kickboxer. Like he really outclassed. And I know these aren't good fighters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fighters, but he's really outclassed Johan Lines or and Adam Fujit yep. and Mickey Gall too. Yep. In ways that you should outclass these opponents if you are a good fighter. Yeah. You know, like in ways that Neil Magny very likely wouldn't outclass them. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Where it's just like actually dominating them with the, their strikes in ways that force them to make bad decisions so that you can dominate them with your grappling. You know, yeah. in, the, in the case with Gaul, it was just strikes, but with Linus and Fujit, it was setting up submissions by putting these people at odds with your with his striking that made them put themselves in worse positions. Yeah. But it is that um that ever present willingness to grapple with everyone that has me yeah. concerned for Mike Malott here. I um, mean it's, that's the thing with Magni is that it is such a fifty fifty with him and grappling. Yep. Where if you are really a good grappler, you will just you will run through Neil Magny. And if you are not a really good grappler, like just less than really good, you will give up exactly the fight that Neil Magny needs to, to win. Yeah. And there's still wrinkles to that. I mean, I would say Michael Chiesa is a pretty good grappler. He didn't run through Neil Magny. He, in fact, his insistence on continuing to grapple with him almost yeah. caused him to lose the fight. It's true. Um, Neil Magny just has this, you know, I think it is simply because he's like, his frame is just really frustrating and intimidating mm-hmm. to deal with. And so he has this like anglerfish ability to get people who should not be grappling with him to grapple with him. Oh, yeah. People, they meet the first couple of long jabs from him and they think, I'm not supposed to be getting hit from here. Yeah, I can't hang out and Mike Malott is one of these strikers who's like, he has really great short shots. Mm-hmm. And a really underdeveloped, surprisingly <laughs> underdeveloped range game. Yeah. Like For a striking the, coach, especially. Yeah, right. To the point that sometimes you look at him in range, you're like, this dude's like a striking coach. This guy can't even kickbox. Like, yeah. When he first got to the UFC, I had no idea he was a striking coach. I remember picking Mickey Gall and I was just like, yeah, if the, both these guys like to grapple, I guess I'll pick Gall. And then people are like, oh, no, he's Team Alpha Male striking coach. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. That speaks to Team Alpha Male being shit, I guess. Yeah. And then you and then see him see... in the pocket. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Ooh. I get it. Yeah. This guy's got a monster left hook. He puts really great combinations together. Good yeah. counter punching, like, et cetera. Um, but he doesn't have a range game other than, I guess, yeah. kicks. He's been, he, It's been improving a little bit in his last couple of fights, I think. But his his competition in those fights has also been piss poor. Yeah, you're right though. You know he showed some nice jabs and uh, and uh, outside footwork against Fugit. Yeah, um, just Fugit is also one of the the least durable, <laughs> most injury injurable fighters I've ever seen. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the I just feel like Mike Malata is not going to be having as good a time as he wants to have at range with Neil Magny. And, um. 
and I think he's going to end up grappling, and I think that'll probably work fine for him to start, and then it won't. And this is the way Neil Magny fights go when he wins. Yeah, I, I my doubts because like I I brought I have basically that same read going in. My doubts are just the occasional Neil Magny big dynamic puncher, uh, sort of insta loss or just you know fights there are these fights that come up where it's just suddenly like oh neil magny just can't cope and yeah he's always had those though i know and i just get the sense that there's a chance this could be one of those and that he could start having more of them now that he's really you know he himself is getting older but I'm going to still pick Magni. I, I, I'm not going to lean into it too hard. It's just there's a doubt creeping into my mind that Mike Malott, he's looking a lot better than I thought he would. Yeah. And Magni, if you are a good talent, he's a very solvable fighter. Yeah. No. But I, I think it remains to be seen how good of a talent Mike Malott yes, is. Yes, it does. And I shouldn't bet. I shouldn't bank on him th- this being a test that he's prepared to f- to pass off the competition he's faced that's yeah. the that's the biggest thing is that like yeah. i have to be saying beating adam fugit johan linus and mickey gall uh-huh and is really you're you're taking a tour through the bottom end of the welterweight division yeah and crushing and them the way a, you should but yeah a great sign that he is smoking these dudes because I do not necessarily I did not believe that he would when he got to the UFC. Yeah, but still, it's hard but, to say just how far you can uh, extrapolate those results. Yeah, I'm very curious to hear the odds on this one because Milad is hot right now. Yeah, Neil Mag- Magny just had you know he boasted about beating his infant daughter and then like had the no his uh, kid, oh yeah his kid is an infant too yeah that's right they're all yeah. oh it was Brendan Allen who beat his infant dog. yeah and it, Brendan Allen was proud of it Magny you 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 could get the sense that he felt he mildly joking, chastened <laughs> and that uh, he was joking and that uh, Ian Gary just pounced on it because it was such a stupid way to joke yeah and he felt mildly you could tell he felt mildly yeah. chastened by the response yeah it was Brendan Allen who then came out of the woodwork and was like I am proud of how I yeah. beat my kids I That's wish Neil would ask me to beat kids. his kids for him I would I yeah. love beating kids yeah Neil yeah. Magny wasn't quite on that tip but yeah. you know that and then followed by one of the most humiliatingly one-sided decision losses you'll ever see I just have a feeling like Mike Malott might be the favorite here but Neil Magny is the ultimate He's a gatekeeper uh, to the top 10, and he has been for 10 yeah. years. Yeah, he is the ultimate y'all-must-have-forgot fighter. Every he, time you see Neil Magny lose, you've seen him get squished, and you can never assume that that is just the book on Neil Magny because you put him up against someone who hasn't yet broken through. Yeah, I mean, like the Ian Gary call was pretty easy because it's just like... Exactly, yeah. You've got somebody longer than Neil Magny who is really thoughtful about their strike selection. Yeah. Has already demonstrated a a keen understanding of how to game plan who specifically mentioned not wanting to get sucked into the clinch by Neil Magny. Like, Oh yeah, this dude's going to win. Yeah. Malat opened at minus 286 has gotten up as high as minus 258, but it's currently all the way down at minus 332. 
Here it is. Magni opened at plus 214, is currently at plus 279. Y'all I'm must not, have forgot. I am not saying Mike Malott can't win, but sure. you got to be pretty good to actually warrant those odds over Neil Magni. very well could fit a Lorenz Larkin mode. He's not as fast as Lorenz Larkin in his prime. But he could fit a Lorenz Larkin mode. Yeah, he, he could do could a Ponzinibbio. He could do a Ponzinibbio. But it's been a long time since Magni lost that way. Even it's, I assume it's still possible. I assume it's still possible too. But usually you have to have very specific style matchup to offer Magni that he can't deal with all that well. And you got to be super consistent and avoid the serious temptation to, to fall into his fight. And, yeah, I just haven't seen that out of him a lot yet. He just hasn't really been tested by, nope. like, an actual, like, crafty, well-rounded, tough veteran yep. at all, who is also nine feet tall. Yeah, and you have to remember, too, at one point he lost to Hakeem Dawadu. Yep. You know, just got straight out kickboxed by... Hakeem Dawadu, who is good, yep, but is also small and yep. what is he a featherweight now? Bantamweight? He's a featherweight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just don't know. I I I I don't uh, I don't bet on fights, but uh, I see some value in betting on Neil Magny as the massive underdog here because yeah, it's just not a not a great position to put a true blue gatekeeper like Neil. Yeah, I mean. Mickey Gall is really, honestly, and truly the best win of yeah. Mike Malott's career. He's only the best win because he far exceeded our expectations because we yeah. thought he was probably pretty limited and quite bad. Yeah. All right. Uh, that brings us to a middleweight bout. Chris Curtis, Marc-Andre Barrio. And, uh, man, I hate to feel, hmm? Oh, go on, go on. I was, I had a sort of non sequitur, but it's related, but. I was going to say, I hate to feel like this is a rubber meets road fight for Chris Curtis, mm-hmm. but this feels like a rubber meets road fight for Chris Curtis. Yeah. Like he, Curtis has a style that is very anti-meta. Yeah. And he makes it work through craft and consistent application and and toughness too. toughness. Yeah. And I am getting some senses that I, he may have fought enough now in the UFC that people are starting to see it. Yeah. And Chris Curtis also got to the UFC at what really, by, by all rights, should be the, the last of his, phase of his yeah. career. Yeah, yeah. The feeling I've I've been having every time I re- remember this fight is on the card is I wish we'd got to see Chris Curtis fight Drakus. Yeah, because I think he could have beaten him. Sure, but anybody could beat Drakus Duplessis. Yeah, but just the fact that Chris Curtis is really difficult to hurt. Yep. Uh, very defensively sound and hits the body like a motherfucker. Yeah. Which really everybody should be doing against Drikas. You should be look at this man gasping with his mouth open. No matter how much he says he doesn't get tired, he does. 
uh, I would love to see Chris Curtis just slugging Drikus with uppercuts to the body and see what that fight shapes up like. I think it's a fascinating uh, matchup, yeah. but it's just never going to happen. Yeah. So for me, this is, you know, this is very much a fight. Chris Curtis should win. He should be primed to win this fight. Mark andre Barrio has done great work yeah. to lean on his own durability, up his volume, and really become a more bullish volume striker. And not just up his volume, but improve his boxing technique. Yeah, but improve his boxing technique. But he is still pretty rudimentary and lacking a distance game. Often, he's still mostly a pocket puncher Mm -hmm. who has to lean on bullishness and is simply not as slick as Chris Curtis. Like, Chris Curtis should be getting a lot of his ideal working conditions. And when put on the defensive, Barrio really tends to fall, you know, his game falls apart on the back foot. Yeah. He can be crowded into the cage, run straight back, just picks a a spot to cover and hopes that that keeps him out of trouble. Yeah. Um, So it's a fight Chris Curtis should, should win, but, Curtis is selective. Yep. And he wants, you know, we talked about with Adesanya and Randy Brown. Curtis is very much a fighter who wants to create beauty. He wants to pick that perfect poison to his his opponent's game. And you know, it was it was such a tragedy that fight with Jack Hermanson. Yeah. Watching him just get stuck with Jack Hermanson on the back foot and it's just like and be so frustrated yeah. and so in his own head and it's just like you, you are entirely at fault for not being willing to take the risk here Hermanson yeah. is clearly setting a trap that says you must take the risk to hurt me you must come forward and you must but you know uh What's it? Roman Delidzi saw that same trap and yep. he was just like, okay, I'll just go take the risk. Yeah. You know? And Delidzi just, I just watched the, the boy and the heron, Zane. And then yeah. the main character is like, someone says, it's a trap. And he says, I know, but I got to find out. Yeah. That's the approach you got to have. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. He set me up for something, but if I don't walk into it, I'm just going to lose anyway. Yeah. And so walk into the trap and see if I can't bust out of it. To, like I said, to his credit here, Mark andre Barrio is not going to set any traps. But it is notable that Chris Curtis will often set himself up for that kind of fight. Yeah. And it's always it, there's, it's always feels chancy that he's going to fight his way through it. Like even the Joaquin Buckley fight. Yeah. Is Joaquin Buckley just kind of pouring it on him, and Curtis then being like, ah, I've gotten enough now. Here's exactly the right solution. Yep. Um, Yeah, he just doesn't have um, 
I don't know, the, the, the right sort of sense of pace and urgency. Yeah. To consistently win these fights. And I mean, I, I'll, to be honest, I think it's even possible that Mark Andre Barrio does work him a little bit off the back foot because he showed a willingness to fight that fight against Eric Anders. Yeah. And it really, I mean, he immediately knocked Anders down and was trying like a kicking game and trying to move around. It was Anders' absolute insistence that they have a brawl that turned that fight into a brawl. Yeah. Um, if uh, Chris Curtis is going to have to insist that he pressure and step in, which he has done. Yeah. And he's much more tactical when he does it than Andrews. No question. No question. But he is sometimes way too patient for his own good uh-huh. and will absorb too much damage on the road to getting active. Yep. Um, and he is also just you know, a, a very good, we, we can praise his technique all day, but Chris Curtis is simply not a good cage cutter. His footwork is a real no. limitation for him. I think you got to wonder if all that training with Sean Strickland hasn't rubbed off. On you. <laughs> yeah. And, and then when things are going wrong, uh, Chris Curtis has a temper. He does. And he gets into his own head and then he, he, he can't adjust. Yep. He loses track of, uh, of, of what he really needs to do to actually get back into the fight. So it's, it's, it's basically like the, the fight comes to him. The opponent lets him boss them around or it's close and he might just get pushed out of it. And I, I don't know. This, this is actually a very difficult one to call. I, I, I am tempted to pick Chris Curtis, but. I'm going to pick Chris Curtis and just sort of uh, sticking with my sticking with my guns that the more technical striker can yeah. beat a technically pretty limited striker who is uh, who's getting better, but is still sort of figuring out an adaptive game where Curtis like it should this should be a lot more like the Joaquin Buckley fight for Curtis. Yeah. Or like you know? the Brendan Allen fight. Yeah, or the Brendan Allen fight. This back should be those cage. kind of matchups. Yeah, back him up to the cage, rip his body, throw uh, short right hooks over his wider, loopier punches. Yeah. I'm going to bank on that still, but yeah, it is. that's why I say it's a rubber meets the road fight for him because he's had a few fights now where he's gotten opponents that are – just crafty enough to throw him off and keep him from getting going. Yeah. And he's taken some steps back and now this is a firm step back, but Barrio is in his best form. So as a firm step back, it is still a fight he could lose. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know there are different divisions, but like, would you pick Chris Curtis to beat Neil Magny? No. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, or, or like say to beat like the Max Griffin who almost beat Neil Magny, like a pretty rudimentary, but, but still in the broad strokes. A, a good, I would like, pick him to beat Max Griffin. I would not pick him to beat Neil Magny, but I, yeah. it would and you're be picking him to be, beat Mark Andre Barrio, but it's not as sure you have this guy who's sure. got a pretty broad understanding and is trying to play a more strategic game than he used to. Yeah. And that's probably enough to make it close and at times very frustrating. Yeah. 
Because if you're tough and you can have a little strategy at all, you will pretty much always have a close, tough fight with Chris Curtis. Yeah. He, it is very rare that he ever just blows somebody out of the water. Even when he gets an early knockout, it's yeah. usually after somebody else has started tagging him. Yep. And usually they're not tagging him as much as the commentators think. Yeah. Chris yeah. Curtis is, but, with, with punches to the head at least, quite difficult yeah. to hit clean, but... Yeah, people get to work on him. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to take Chris Curtis as well, but uh, I, I share your uh, your trepidation. Curtis opened at minus 165, currently down at minus 182. Barrio opened at plus 147, currently at plus 163. That brings us to our final fight of the main card. Arnold Allen... Mopsar Ivloev. Boy, is this an interesting fight. It is. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy they booked it. I am fascinated more than anything to see if Ivloev can find another gear. I think that's really kind of what I want out of this. Yeah, how do you mean exactly? I mean that Ivloev has he has shown he he has shown a great ability to continue what he had in M1 as an ability to just be absolutely dogged as a pressure fighter and just the most constantly you know here are my punches here are my takedowns i will mix them together i will make you deal with pressure all the time pressure fighter out there yeah but and he's still undefeated with it but we have seen more fighters figure out just how to handle the pressure alone yeah and find whole rounds where they just kind of stop his game. Yeah. And I'm waiting to see if there's something, because I feel I get the feeling at highest, the highest levels that will be a stop, a stumbling block for him. I, I see. Yeah. Cause, cause, cause when forced to another gear, if love has it. Yeah. Like he is down to scrap. Sure. Like we sure, saw yeah, that Diego Lopez fight. Like that was just an insane amount of nonsense and offense happening coming his way. And he was that way in M1 too. He had yeah. some crazy, crazy fights where he had to rely on his toughness and basically just brawl with people and break their wills. Like when you smash into Mobster of Love, he will meet he will meet your energy. Yeah. But um But I'm, yeah, I'm, against I'm a more evasive yeah. Yeah. Like, can he do that in a way that means that uh, he doesn't necessarily get like, that doesn't necessarily walk himself into so much danger, I guess is my feeling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, has to, the intensity kind of has to come to him first. Yeah. Um, I will, I will raise one point that Phil McKenzie raised, which made me quite cautious about this. Mavsar of Loev, what's his best punch? Uh, 
It's his, it's his jab. Essentially. Yeah, it's his jab, yeah. The guy's got a great jab. Good lead mm-hmm. hand in general, but man, yeah. a really powerful long jab that really helps him to control the distance and drive people back and set up his takedowns. Um, Arnold Allen's a southpaw. Yeah. Is Mofsar of Love's game going to continue functioning the way it should? I think it's very much an open question. He has not fought any southpaws in the UFC. A couple switch hitters, but none of them that have really. And in the like brief moments in his fight with Diego Lopez, when Lopez went southpaw, it's not enough for me to say definitively, but he did choose different strikes. Yeah. He was like, he didn't say, okay, I have to take a step this way in order to get my jab in. He was like, what if I do open side body kick? Yeah. And Arnold Allen can be a very frustrating, evasive southpaw to deal with. Very frustrating and evasive. So that to me is a serious note of caution of, I just, I cannot say for certain how functional Evloev's stand-up game is going to be. Yeah. And that, if it's not functional, that should, that should have a serious limiting effect on, on his takedown game. Mm-hmm. But I am going to pick Evloev because Arnold Allen is not that hard to take down. And yeah. it hasn't been tested a lot recently because he's fighting top featherweights and all those dudes are punchers. But you go back to his fight with Nick Lentz. You go back to his fight with Mads Burnell, who was Nick, beating him on the ground. Nick Lentz is not actually uh, credited with an official takedown. In that maybe I'm fight. thinking of it. Maybe I'm thinking of Rinaldi or somebody else. Um, but Mads Burnell was beating him on the ground. Yeah. Out wrestling. Mads him Burnell and, definitely out wrestled him. He, and Mothron Adirkani yeah. was straight up winning the fight and only really lost because he's Makwan Amirkani and he always loses that fight. Yeah. But he has not he was, been taken down since Mads Burnell. Yeah, but no, people aren't trying. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean... They, they are trying a little. Like Lentz tried nine takedowns and didn't get any. All right. Uh, Nobody else since, right? Or just passing attempts. Yeah, everybody else is just sort of, you know, one oh for one or oh for two or oh, zero for zero, not trying yeah. any at all. And if you talk about the guys who tried, whether it's Lentz, Burnell, or Amir Khani. Uh, in terms of straight-up wrestling ability, depth of takedown, uh, effectiveness of top control, passing game, um, Ivlov is the closest to Amir Khani. Yeah. He's a really great wrestler and grappler, and I just have faith that he will find a way to tie Arnold Allen up and exploit that, what I think is still probably some pretty spotty takedown defense. So I'm going to take it low if, but I, I'm, you know, it's a big Yeah, test. I think a, th- a three-round fight makes me really want to take Evloev a lot more. Yeah. So I think with time and space, Arnold Allen could probably figure out a way to stop a lot of Evloev's pressure cold. Quite possibly. Allen is insanely well-conditioned and super scrappy, and yeah, he will find a way to push uh, given, given <laughs> enough time. If he can do that, then I think he can absolutely just out kickbox Evloev. Yeah. But 
Yeah. The problems I see are in the kickboxing. Evloev is not a kickboxer. Yeah. Not primarily. It is true in the past, Alan has been very takedownable. Yeah. And controllable. And, I mean, you know, he, yeah. he's a, he's a tri-star guy. Like he, he wants to play guard. How is he still doing tri-star at all? I think so. Let's see. Wiki is usually pretty good about camp changes. Oh, he's he's not, oh yeah he's listed with TriStar as well as his home BKK Fighters UK. You always, you always got to check the Instagram. Any pictures with Farah? Yeah, that's the Arnold Allen Instagram. Oops, just did Arnold Instagram. It's not gonna help. Yeah, here's a recent picture with Farah. Yeah, that's a bad sign. I'm just saying, you know, even if he wasn't right now, I would still assume that that's been baked into him. Yeah. Alan is a, Alan is fundamentally a guy who like will kind of agree to scrap with you in any phase. He's true. That's true. And I I don't like the way that TriStar Meta has dealt with wrestling over the years. I think Feroz has gotten himself into some gimmicks that Yeah just are not functional yep all right I'll, I'll be convinced by you i came in ready to pick arnold allen but it's a very interesting fight you know i will be convinced evil he's got the pressure he's got the takedowns i think if allen can stop his pressure he can put evil into the exact same space that hakeem dewadu did late in their fight yep because Evil Web walks onto a lot of shots. And Allen can hit a lot harder than Hakeem Dawadu. And I have specific memory of of Evil Web walking onto some big shots that stung yeah, him yeah. Mm-hmm. really bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be a huge problem. Yep. But if Allen you know, if he comes, if this ends up being like the Dan Hooker fight, where Allen just tries to go crazy, or where Evloev gets a chance to get in on Allen at all and get into a crazy fight, then I think Evloev has a lot more tools to just be a huge problem. Yep. So it just seems too likely that tie-ups are going to happen, and yeah. Allen opened at minus 175. He's currently minus one. Or no, Evil Web opened at minus 175. He's currently minus 195. Allen opened at plus 135. He's currently at plus 173. All right. On that note, that wraps up our main card. Uh, we'll be right back for our Substack subscribers with a little bit of bonus content. Talking about UFC Fight Nights. Uncle versus uh, Walker 2. So if you are a Substack subscriber, stick around for that. And if you're not a Substack subscriber, this is your chance to become one. We'll be back in just a second, folks. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow podcast production. 
subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.